Atamari, welcome to First Up. This is Ramire. It's Friday, hey, the 11th of November. Coming up, we're going to be in the United States where the red wave predicted by pollsters failed to occur in the midterm elections. Hospitality businesses tell us the post-lockdown boom they'd hoped for is yet to arrive and rugby great Kafina Woodman reflects on how attitudes to the women's game have changed as his daughter Portia prepares to play in the World Cup final at a sold-out Eden Park. I said to Portia when she was wanting to play rugby, Bob, I don't know how much your support you'll get because you're a really good netballer and there's a professional pathway for netballers, not so much as rugby. Kia ora koutou. Welcome first up audience. Let's have a look at you. Nice, there you go. Uh, look, we're going to start in the USA this morning. Our man Bevan Hurley is standing by to kick off a, uh, a very busy Friday show. Kia ora, Bevan, how are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Very well, thanks. Okay, so we are 36 hours on doing some maths here from uh, the polls closing and votes are still being counted. So tell us where we are and where the key races are and where those key votes still count. Yeah, so as it stands right now, Nathan, the balance of power in both the Senate and the House remain undecided. Uh, Democrats need to take two of the three remaining Senate seats to maintain control of at least one of those um, houses of Congress. Um, In Arizona, former astronaut Mark Kelly appears to have a commanding lead. Uh, He's well ahead with 76% of the vote in. But in Nevada, the Republican challenger Adam Laxalt is leading the Democratic incumbent. Um, And in Georgia, that race that we has been so much focus on and $250 million spent um, during that campaign is heading to a runoff on December 6th after neither Raphael Warnock or Herschel Walker managed to get over 50% of the vote. Uh, so with John Fetterman's uh, magnificent victory in Pennsylvania, the D- Democrats can only afford to drop one of those three remaining races. Um, in the House, the Republicans have claimed 209 of the 218 seats they need to wrest control uh, away from the Democrats with. The gains uh, in New York State appear as though they will propel the Republicans over the top, but with a far smaller majority than they had projected. And in one uh, House race that's gaining a lot of attention, Nathan, the ultra-mega Lauren Boebert could be heading for defeat, which would be a huge uh, upset. Um, and it has been a remarkable 24 hours uh, in right-wing media. Basically, um, a lot of the blame for the Republicans' poor showing is being heaped on Donald Trump. Um, The front page of the Murdoch-owned New York Post this morning has a big cartoon with a headline of Trumpy Dumpty. And one of their opinion columnists has written about how Trump sabotaged the midterms and calls calls him perhaps the most profound anti-vote repellent in modern American history. Uh, Trump, of course, had been um, expected to ride that wave to to a um, uh, his um, declare his candidacy for twenty twenty four next week, but all of a sudden that's looking in serious doubt, Nathan. It's it's a it's an interesting uh, old time that one, isn't it? When they turn on Donald Trump, when gosh, they they'd ridden him to power and ratings and all sorts. Let's have a go. I mean, so so the Republicans were expecting this massive red wave, didn't quite arrive as they thought. What's Joe Biden's reaction been? He um, had a, held a press conference yesterday afternoon, and he was in a jubilant mood. You know, he basically 
um, pointed out that uh, historically speaking, when you've got a Democrat in, in the White House, the party really suffers in these midterms. Um, he also called it a really good day for democracy um, and sort of made light of the fact that pundits and the press had been predicting a giant red wave, which never happened. Um, exit polls did show that the majority of voters are dissatisfied about his presidency and about the way things are being run. But he was in a very defiant mood. He said that there was nothing he would change about his time in office. And he expressed confidence that he could win over those voters um, who are so concerned about inflation and the cost of living. Um, he also, interestingly, um, confirmed his intentions to run for a second term. He's turning 80 next month. Um, and he says he's going to make a final decision after speaking with his family. And asked about the prospect of a Trump-Ron DeSantis Republican primary, he sort of smirked and said it will be fun watching them take on each other. Uh, he's off to uh, Egypt tomorrow for the COP27 uh, climate conference, Nathan. Yeah. And uh, speaking of climate, there's uh, a bit of a hurricane headed towards Florida. I think was it a bit downgraded. Where are we right now with Hurricane Nicole? Yeah. That's correct. Hurricane Nicole made landfall at 3am. It has been downgraded to a tropical storm. Uh, more than 100,000 homes have been left without power um, and no reports of casualties thus far. It's the first hurricane uh, to hit the US in November for 40 years and comes just weeks after Florida was battered by that deadly Category 5 Hurricane Ian, which was one of the most powerful storms to hit the US. Uh, so this rare late season hurricane prompted officials to shut down airports and theme parks, ordered evacuations in areas that include Donald Trump Trump's Mar-a-Lago club where his daughter Tiffany is meant to be getting married this week um, and we're expecting to see that uh, shift up the coast so we could be in for some rough weather um, Ohio, Pennsylvania and New York as, as the week goes on Nathan. I'm sure he's giving Tiffany a, a decent rate for the room so that's quite good. Thank you very much Bevan, <laughs> Bevan Hurley uh, who's with us there out of the USA. It's 11 past 5, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radade. Yeah, he mentioned about, uh, Beverly mentioning about, obviously, the uh, hurricane, which is down the bottom of uh, the United States. Uh, but uh, in Alberta, up in Canada, they're really worried today because you want to talk about climate change uh, in Alberta. And this is a place which around this time of year probably sits around minus 10s, minus 15s. Uh, they have got minus 40 on the way this weekend. So remember we saw places in Europe just suffering under things like a heat wave. Uh, well, this is their version of that. And if you think of the difference between positive, you know, 20 degrees and 30 degrees here, uh, remember they work in the metric system too, and there's the Celsius as well. So minus 40 degrees, uh, huge concern for life out there because, of course, when it's under about minus 28, but um, antifreeze doesn't work anymore, it freezes. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on the details up there. We'll go to Africa now. Uh, the cost of living crisis being felt all over the continent there. Uh, joining us from Ghana as our correspondent, it's always a pleasure to say good morning to Nabil Ahmed. How are you, sir? Fine, thank you, Marina. So tell me, South African civil servants, they're going to go on strike over wages and working conditions, and I suppose this is all connected to cost of living? Indeed, uh, the high cost of living uh, is being felt by many South Africans, and this has pushed many civilians, uh, civil servants, to embark on a nationwide strike over their wages and working conditions. Now, it is seen as the first major strike by public servants in a decade, and the impact is going to be very immense uh, because some state departments and the country's airports may not be operating to full capacity. Uh, for instance, services such as um, issuing of passports, uh, death certificates and driver's licenses have all been affected. 
Also, airport officials have warned that uh, the industrial action uh, may cause delays at passport control and have warned travelers to arrive at the airport about four hours earlier before their departure time. Now, the government is actually doing something to... Um, uh, for the civil servants to call off their strike, and the government has said it would give them three percent raise of their in their wages. But then uh, the public servants say that is not enough, and they're actually pushing for some six percent raise in their wages. Nathan, uh, let's go to Malawi, where there is uh, well, Malawi, sorry, where there's just huge queues for fuel there. <sighs> Yes, the global crisis is really also affecting Malawi because, for instance, for some weeks now, hundreds of people in Malawi uh, have been spending hours and days at fuel stations. And now opposition groups uh, in Malawi are calling for fresh protests over the worsening fuel crisis and the rising cost of living. Uh, so it's not just South Africa that's also having this high cost of living. Malawi is also uh, suffering the same. And we know that uh, Malawi's energy regulator has said that the severe lack of foreign exchange in the country is to blame for the crisis. And uh, we know that um, the country is facing one of the worst economic crises with rising inflation rates that have seen the cost of food skyrocket. Now, uh, a couple of months ago in May, the Malawian government devalued the local currency, the kwacha, by some 25% to try and stabilize the dwindling foreign currency reserves. But the move led to a sharp increase in inflation and the cost of food. And it's quite a difficult time for Malawi at the moment. Uh, now, Biel, I know when we talk football, it always puts a smile on your face. Uh, so I want to know, what's the latest world, <laughs> what is the latest World Cup 2022 news out of Africa this week, sir? Yeah, well, you know, it's just about 10 days uh, for the World Cup to kick off in Qatar, and uh, a lot of excitement is building up. Now, the African football governing body, CAF, has actually added its voice in supporting FIFA's call for unity and also inclusion ahead of the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. Now, the host nation, Qatar, has uh, been criticized for its stance on same-sex relationships its human rights uh, record and also its treatments of migrant workers. Now, as this is coming up and the whole World Cup fever is being uh, muddied with this controversy, and indeed, we know that Qatar has said notice that it will not take kindly to open display of LGBTQ activities in the country during the World Cup. And then FIFA has asked all competing nations to rather focus on the football instead of all these controversies that have been building up. And recently, we know that FIFA uh, president, former FIFA president, Seblata, has actually said it was a mistake for uh, the selection of Qatar to host uh, these tournaments. And these are the issues that are coming up as we build up to the World Cup in Qatar. Thank you very much, Nabil Ahmed, who's with us there out of Ghana. It is a quarter past five. Uh, you're listening to First Up on RNZ National. Interesting in stark contrast to what you just heard uh, about what Qatar is wanting. An Auckland suburb is making it clear that homophobia isn't welcome in their community. On November 18th, 300 pride flags will be raised around Hobsonville Point for Hobby Pride, which is a response to recent homophobic behaviour. Our reporter, Felix Walton, has more. Hobsonville Point Secondary School Principal Maury Abraham says he wants his students to feel safe. 
His school hosts the Little Gay Out, an annual event that brings hundreds of students from different schools together for a day of keynotes, workshops and activities. We thought it would be good to fly the rainbow flag so that when everybody arrived the next day, that would be the first thing they would see and would help them feel safe and welcome. That flag hadn't even left the ground before a member of the public started harassing Mr Abraham's staff. A member of the community had approached my maintenance staff who were out front at the flagpole about to raise the flag and he approached them and really aggressively had a go at them and started filming them. To tell the truth, I was flabbergasted, you know, we we don't think twice about celebrating diversity within our school. On another occasion, a house displaying a pride flag was egged multiple times. For Hobsonville local Mark Canico, that's unacceptable. And he says that sort of behaviour shouldn't be ignored. And I suggested, well, if they're upset about flying one pride flag or two pride flags, let's fly a lot more. The community agreed, urging him to bring the idea to life. And though Hobby Pride started as a response to negativity, Mr Canico says it's taken on a life of its own. When I brought up this idea on the to the community pages, the overwhelming expression of support from local businesses, from local people, just everybody completely overshadowed any negativity that started the event in the first place. Mr Canico says he was inundated with offers of support to make the event happen. One of those sponsors is local web design company Birdhouse Digital. Its director, Abby Storey, says Hobsonville's diversity is one of its strengths. I think it's an incredibly positive community response to a need by other community members and to an issue that deserves sort of attention. We, we can't brush these things under the carpet, as it were. She wants to show just how supportive her community can be. Most people in the community are, are really open and inclusive, but unfortunately these things will happen sometimes. And I think as a community, we have a responsibility to stand up. Maury Abraham says the response from the community has been staggering. We've just been overwhelmed. You know, it made us feel really proud about our community. They want to acknowledge the diversity in the school and in the wider community and they want to make sure everyone feels safe. It's just overwhelming. He says his students are especially moved. I'm really pleased that in talking with our rainbow group of students that they could see that people are out there fighting for them. Mr Abraham says that when the event starts next week, his school will be able to fly its flag with pride. Excellent school. Heard the students there are wonderful, and they are, especially those year 10 ones. Hey, uh, it is 19 past five. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Peter Bailey's uh, texted in. Hi, Nathan. Shout out to the Lions Trust workers who've been battling the solid easterly all night in Northland. Yes, uh, anyone that's been called out for, a, for you know, to, to work overnight as well, but I got on you, Peter, for pointing that out. It says, I. And, I'm not quite following you here, Peter. I'm with you for the first two thirds, but I can't get the rest. To Pete, uh, Peter says, oh yeah, P.S. If money was the answer to climate change, then increasing the country's population by a million in 30 years and adopting new technology would the answer to the labour shortages? But it's not. Is it? Yes, Peter, thank you very much for that. Um, Glenn Forsyth is here very soon with all that's good in fruit and veggies. And in sport, we talk about the big final this weekend. No, not that one. The other one. There they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some of mm, If you listen very carefully, it's how the spring produce literally dying to get into you. Joining me now from the fresh produce markets is the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena Glenn. 
Muruta Nathan, how are you? I'm pretty good. So, I mean, we're heading into a, a big weather weekend. How, how are things looking? Yeah, spent three days at the Auckland Markets this week, and now that we're well into spring, the freshness and colours on display is spectacular. A delightful vegetable in season currently, and until Christmas, is the Kami Kami. John Reed, heck of a top bloke, is third generation of Bell's produce in Kaitaia, and we caught up with him yesterday. Now, they're magnificent growers, earlier than most on their product, and his knowledge on even Kami Kami is insane. You've got to try these if you haven't done so already. So Johnny gave us some great eating tips for them. Always top and tail them when preparing, Gently wash clean, pat dry, but never peel. You can roast as chunks like you would a roast vegetable. Texture is softer than a pumpkin, but firmer than a courgette. But his two favourites is to dice and steam, although don't overdo them. So And then toss them with butter in a bowl and seeds and skin, all fine to eat. Now his other favourite is slices thick discs. Remove the seeds in the middle this time and fry one side till crispy brown. Flip and crack an egg in the centre, cooking until the other side goes crispy brown and, and the egg is ready. Now, his mum used to do this as a, as a quick lunch for him and his family all the time. And um, so if you and also, if you're lucky enough to, to be living in the far north, Bell's Produce have a retail store there. So, yeah, do try some coming coming this weekend. It's with the egg and all that, getting a bit Michelin star, aren't we, with the restaurants <laughs> that are carry on there? And actually, you know, I had a Google before. I was like, what is coming coming? Had a look. I think Kamal Kamal is how a lot of people know it as well. So, yeah, it's a, yes, you're right. It is an interesting thing. Okay, so um, what are the other great buyers and vegetables right now? Yeah, talk about options with fruit vegetables. It's huge. I mean, it would be easy to mention shortages instead. There are stacks of lines in good supply this week. USA garlic, well supplied. New season New Zealand, uh, New Zealand snow peas have begun. Plenty of Asian greens, lettuce, living herbs, spinach, radish, and, and cucumbers, all pumping. New Zealand flat beans are stunning, but these are still pricey. Look out for limited editions as well of summer Taylor Farms chopped kits in a bag. One is broccoli crunch, containing broccoli, cauliflower, red cabbage, and carrots. And the other is the Caesar salad made from crispy cos lettuce, all local produce in those bags. Now, the big news today, though, Nate, fresh out of your beautiful hometown Hastings are mm. new season fresh peas. Oh, Kevin, so but, yes. Oh, mm. they're beautiful. Now, Kevin Bailey, another salt-of-the-earth grower, 20 years growing peas. He caught us up on these this week, an incredibly diligent operator. He grows berries, corn, melons, beans, but his peas are something else. Biggest in the country. He started last week, and he's sending them as far as Dunedin, and we'll have them until Christmas. Christmas week, though, they go nuts. Now, Kev's favourite ways of enjoying peas is snacking on them raw during the day uh, for the school lunchboxes, freshly Freshly boiled is magic, but his ultimate preference is raw, fresh spring peas tossed all throughout your green garden salad. So, yeah, be, be sure to try that. Mm. The um, the ugly fruit, sometimes known as the Jama- uh, the Jamaican tangelo, is an interesting one. That's, is that featuring in fruit this week, Glenn? Oh, mate, again, options of fruit now is massive, so let's whip through ones we haven't mentioned for a while. One I love is what you've just said this time of year, especially chilled, easy to peel, and have eaten half a dozen this week already is ugly fruit. Be quick, though. It's a short, sharp season with few growers. Other newer products include lovely green limes from America, plump mangoes from Australia, early season may glow nectarines, tongue and watermelon, and some uh, some exciting imported pomegranates. Now, a nice North Island apple to try is the Pink Lady, and from Love Your Orchards in the South Island is the Ambrosia. Now, when selecting Australian pack and pears, give them a check all over to ensure no rot spots coming through on them with age and keep them refrigerated at home. And all, again, fresh out of the Hawke's Bay, Mr Nathan is our fruit of the week. Yes. Oh, what's our fruit of the week, Glenn? It's raspberries. Now, the full... 
Yeah, the full of energy, Simon Tallon, marketing manager of Driscoll's Berries. He's well into them now and will be until the end of autumn. These guys are the biggest raspberry growers in New Zealand, so shop around for the best deals. And Driscoll's have some amazing varieties on offer. Throw the trio of fresh berries together with the ice cream. Sai was saying, you know, for dessert, and, and your kids will love you for 24 hours when they get served some more the, the next night. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Glenn. There is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies who's here with you every week. Got a kamokamal, some ugly fruit and some raspberries and peas. What a day. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. 11-11-2022. Uh, this is uh, the 11th of the 11th. Happy birthday, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio turns 48 today. Demi Moore, wow, had a look at her life story. She's been through it. Uh, Demi Moore turns 60 years old today. Armistice signed in Paris, um, ending the war in 1918. I had a look in Europe, 124 conflicts in Europe since then. Uh, on this day in 1981, Trivial Pursuit was trademarked, registered, and 1,100 copies were published in Canada by two very hopeful people who went, well, gee, I sure hope someone buys one. People bought some. And on this day in 1982, this theme song started, and people went, what am I watching? Once in every lifetime, comes a love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Two seasons, 12 episodes of Rick, Neil, Vivian and Mike the Cool Person. The Young Ones came out on this day in 1982. In this day in 1988, Simon Robinson of Australia screamed louder than anyone ever has. It was a Guinness World Record and he was louder than a jet aircraft 15 metres away. On this day in 2005, the cardboard box made the National Toy Hall of Fame. And it's a brilliant one. And on this day in 2013, Blockbuster Video in the USA rented its last ever rental. The last video to be rented out was This Is The End at a store in Hawaii. And uh, that is the day in history that we call the 11th of November. It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say let's get down to business. It's business time. So that's why we speak to Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. How are Kira you, sir? Kia Nathan. Mentioning the young ones brings back bad visions of lentils. <laughs> yeah, the lentil Stop soup, it. man. It was oh, uh, so many great bits. bother me. Yeah, I, I was a Vivian. Were you a Neil? Who were you? Were a uh, some might have said I was a bit like Mike the Wide Boy. Have I got an <laughs> idea for you? You know, don't worry. Fellas. Oh. Underratedly funny, Mike. Mike, yeah, Viv was my favourite. I remember thinking, this guy's fantastic. The best character there's ever been in. Anyway, um, let's have a look. Now, the Reserve Bank saying, yeah, okay, fine, have a look. We got it right, mostly. This is, look, this is the big political topic, isn't it, which Nicola Willis uh, has been pushing quite strongly of late, which is that the Reserve Bank's uh, actions during the pandemic uh, needed to be independently reviewed. Uh, she never liked uh, the thought that the Reserve Bank was doing its own report. It came out yesterday. Essentially, the report, it was peer-reviewed. In other words, it was put out to a couple of independent observers, assessors, uh, and they gave their view on uh, what was written there and the study and the methods used. And they they said, okay, generally your your report's, you know, kosher. It, It stands up. But the report says, look, we got it right most of the time. 
right? But we could have done better. We made some mistakes on the way. And yes, we probably did have a bit of a hand in fueling the inflation fire. But if we hadn't done what we did with the money printing, with the cheap money for the banks uh, and the other measures that were taken, then we would have just added to the pandemic pain, the economic pain. You know, a lot of businesses would have struggled. The economy could well have just ground to a bit of a halt because there wasn't money flowing through there, all that sort of thing. So they've got themselves a template for the future. The question is, how do they improve? And that will be really, I think, not just the report that they've done, but how they act on it and how they refine their structures. And they're going through that at the moment, uh, looking at the way they do things. They've been seeking public feedback on their what they call their remits, which is basically their riding instructions and what they should take into account when they set interest rates. So perhaps some of that will apply. Interested people can go to the website. You can see the full report. And you can see what work they're doing also in this uh, rethink or uh, reconsideration uh, of uh, the way they conduct monetary policy. It won't stop them putting up possibly interest rates by three quarters of a percentage points in two weeks' time. That'll be the last monetary policy decision for the year. Uh, inflation, although the hopes are that it has peaked, uh, the underlying indicators are that it's still rock solid and it's going to be with us for some time. So expect another really hefty interest rate rise uh, on Wednesday, the 23rd of November. Okie dokie. Thank you very much, Giles Beckford. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Let's take your New Zealand dollar shopping for the last day of, well, the last weekday of this week to do so. Your New Zealand dollar today buying 60 US cents, 91.68 Australian cents, 59.01 euro cents, 51.37 British pence, 4.3 yuan and 85.11 Japanese yen into the sporty bit of the show and a bit of a treat for the frisbee lovers this morning. The Auckland Disc Golf Championships are happening at Montececilia Park. That's in Hillsborough and that's this weekend. Now despite not being a mainstream sport, it's becoming popular in New Zealand as evidenced by the Auckland Disc Golf Champs being at capacity. There's actually a waiting list to get into this. There we go. Charlotte Dunkley is the chairperson for Auckland Disc Golf and I spoke to her to get a grip on how the sport works and we started with the basics. Disc golf is pretty much like golf, the same principles. You've got a tee pad, you've got a par, your hole is a basket, Mm. and the things you're throwing are discs. Um, But you've got putters and drivers and mid-rangers, so you just select the type you want for the distance or the type of throw you're throwing. Now, it's quite good. I think the first-up generation are definitely the frisbee generation here. But is it your normal frisbee as you would know, or are they – I mean, I noticed you call them discs, so I don't want to get into brand names here. Are, are they slightly different? Do you have heavier ones? Like, what's the story? Oh, they're very different to a standard beach frisbee that we know. The shape of them – not particularly the weight, but it's just the shape of them that makes them fly different. Right. And the hole that you put it into, it looks like a weird little basket. I saw one at our high school and I thought it might be where the kids are parking their electric scooters nowadays. So just describe to us what they are because people might have driven past and gone, oh, is that what those things are? Yeah, so they're like a metal cage with some chains attached to them from the top sloping down. 
they're very unusual looking. People call them art installations or sometimes rubbish bins that are missing the bag. <laughs> Two extremes. So I've seen them pop up in odd places. I've seen them in Hobsonville Point in Auckland. I've seen uh, one in Mangakino, which I, which I had to go on myself. Tell me about the spread of disc golf like, around New Zealand. Oh, it's everywhere nowadays. You know, everywhere you travel, there's a course or there's a disc golf fanatic person who's made their own course. I don't know where the top course is in New Zealand. I think maybe Dargaville, and it spreads all the way down the line, Wanaka, Queenstown. It's massive down in the South Island. And the nice thing about it is, I mean, like, you know, if you're not, say, super competitive, it's a nice excuse to get out and go for a walk, isn't it? Oh, it's a great excuse. You know, get out, be social. You don't have to be fit. You don't have to be strong. It doesn't matter, you know, female, male, age, anything. Just grab a disc and go for your leisurely own time. Now, I'm, I'm thinking here there must be conditions, though, because, you know, lost golf balls, when you shank your golf, they're off and they're out of there as well. Lost discs, are people losing discs? Oh, you do, but not often, I wouldn't say. Dogs are probably our biggest enemy. <laughs> what is the enemy, but, you know, dogs love flying things, so why wouldn't they love a disc? If a dog bursts out of the bushes and leaps and catches at midair, that's got to count as like a hole-on-one or something, like that, an eagle or something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Now, the Auckland Champs are on, which I think is fantastic, so I think registration's at capacity there, a bit of a waiting list, which is, which is really cool. So tell us, where does it happen, and when people come along to, to watch the people show up? Do they bring a little chair to sit on and watch? How does it work? Yeah, so Auckland Champs is held at Monte Cecilia Park. So once a year we set up a course of our baskets and that's been happening, I think, for the past 17 years. Unless you're going to sit in one spot, you can bring a chair, but you normally walk behind a group and you follow a group and you watch all their shots and play out a hole because it can be quite hard to watch a hole that's 200 metres long from one place. Yes. I'm just thinking here, as you mentioned, these people following around, you know, you, you see yeah. the great galleries following Tiger Woods. Does does New Zealand disc golf have a Lydia Ko or, or a Tiger Woods? There's definitely lots of up-and-coming players in New Zealand. Who do I name? <laughs> Too many to name. <laughs> <laughs> just all of them. They're all fantastic. They go. <laughs> yes. so I think it doesn't matter who, you know, if you're a pro, if you're an amateur, if you're there for some fun, everyone's just awesome to watch. That was Charlotte Dunkley. So play gets underway from 9.30 in the morning this Saturday. Discs flying all around in the air there of Monte Cecilia Park this weekend. But if you see one, don't touch it. It's, it's probably part of the game. Sorry, don't touch it, please. Manners. Sorry. Uh, 22 to 6 with us now at the sports desk. It's Joe Porter. Kia ora, Joe. How are you? Morena, good. Thank you. Have we got an All Blacks team for the game against Scotland yet? No, tomorrow in the morning or oh, half past midnight morning? tonight. Oh, okay. All right then. So, I, what, do we think a bit of rotation happening? Well, uh, you, you know, be, uh, yes, I think there'll be a little <laughs> bit of rotation. It always does, especially in this All Blacks team, but not a huge amount considering the way they played against Wales. They'll probably retain a large chunk of that side. There's a few injury niggles, of course. There's a few probably positional changes. But, no, yeah, a little bit of rotation for a Scottish side that the All Blacks are expected to overcome without too much trouble. Yeah, uh, we've also got action in the Rugby League World Cup this weekend as well. But I think really the big event that's going over everything is Eden Park, Saturday yeah, absolutely. night. Let's go Black Ferns. Yeah, look, or she, England, depending on who you're cheering for. Sorry. Well, yeah, that's right. And look, it's what, a fitting finale. The, the top two ranked sides in the world, the sort of the two tournament pre favourites alongside France. 
the tournament, um, you know, standout teams all throughout. They've scored an e- even number of tries, conceded a sort of fair, fairly even number as well. It really is a good matchup, a contrast of styles between this traditional forward-based, power-based game that England have. They'll look to dominate at set-piece and, and score penalties and kick penalties and, and use their line-out drives to really kind of try and control the game against the Black Ferns, who are going to try and run this English Red Roses team ragged with fast play around the breakdown, moving the ball wide quite quickly, I think you'll see. I don't think they'll bother doing too many runs off the ruck like they did against France last week because France kind of shut that down. They were too strong at the breakdown. I think you'll see the Black Ferns move wide fairly quickly. Of course, a packed stadium, a record crowd for a women's rugby match at Eden Park, a massive home crowd. If the Black Ferns can get a good start, that'll put England on the back foot. So it's a a lot of intrigue in this game. England are favourites, but the Black Ferns, it's not going to be a walk in the park for them, put it that way. 30 games in a row England have won. It's incredible. It's incredible for any team to put a run like that together internationally and no matter what sport you do. But um, quite incredible there. I don't know, Joe. I mean, yeah, like you say, they were the very heavy pre-tournament favourites. Mm. It's interesting reading the media from up north. They're like, no, no, just look, look, don't, don't change what don't you do against it. New Zealand in the final. I'm thinking like, that's interesting. One of these sides is, I hope they don't overthink themselves, but I kind of do at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the worst thing that could happen for the Black Ferns is that the English team come out, they dominate the set piece, the game is slow, they get stuck in this grind of a forwards battle where England can milk penalties, kick to the line-out, score from line-out malls. I think they've scored like 17 of their 28 tries through line-out drives, through mauling and things like that. The, and the pace of the game never really picks up. That'll be the worst thing that could, could possibly happen for the Black Ferns. But if they can come out early and score a quick try within the first 10 minutes against this English team, get that Eden Park crowd behind them, then England could be a hole that they'll have to dig themselves out of, and that's a place they haven't been in before. So it could no. be a really interesting game. Well, Joe, thank you very much for your time, sir. There is Joe Porter from the Sports Desk. It's 19 to 6. Alan's written in. Morning. I lived in Fort McMurray in uh, northern Alberta for a number of years, 456 kilometres north of Edmonton. Oof. Winter temperatures regularly hit uh, 35 to 40 below, and reg, reg antifreeze work just fine. Alan, yeah, I know. I'm thinking here, you got to. Um, former Calgary resident, it's, uh, they've gone red deer below for this one, so uh, you'll know the, the difference there of what people have and what they're used to there in southern Alberta, but Alan, that's some weather to brave, my goodness. We're going to hear from hospo businesses around Eden Park coming up very soon, also the great Kafina Woodman telling us about how proud he is of his daughter who is playing in the Rugby League, uh, sorry the Rugby uh, World Cup final in front of a packed out Eden Park. Over 2,000 jobs across multiple sectors will be on offer at an Auckland Job Expo at Mount Smart Stadium today. Job will even get the chance to see what the jobs in hospitality, health, transport and, con- and contact centres might look like through the use of virtual reality experiences. So this expo comes with employment at just 3.3% and businesses across New Zealand facing more competition for staff amid soaring costs. With the Rugby World Cup semi and final tomorrow, no, so final tomorrow and of course the semi last week, we sent our reporter Leonard Powell out to see how businesses around Eden Park had been faring. Dominion Road is a stone's throw away from Eden Park, and hospitality businesses often face the frantic rush of service before the game or concert kicks off. It was a great buzz, great atmosphere. Yeah, we've had a few good events as of recently, and tomorrow should be another one. That's the voice of Suzanne Harley-Conway, owner-manager-director of the Clare Inn Irish Pub on Dominion Road. She says the Rugby World Cup has brought a different crowd along to usual, but it's still been good for business. Yeah, it is slightly different. I guess it's the time of the games as well, and I suppose it's very family-orientated, which is great. The Eden Parks games or concerts are always a great bonus. brings a different momentum to the area. The only thing is a lot of regular people stay away on those days, So, but no, the events are just, yeah, shit. 
just gives the momentum. But recently, the hospitality sector has been struggling to stand up. Along Dominion Road, it's not hard to find posters and windows looking for staff or notices of reduced hours. Suzanne says Clear Inn has been forced to adapt. Oh, it's still difficult. You know, we're still on reduced hours because we just can't staff it. Very short, and chefs very short all across the board. So, unfortunately, it it does its damage. You're trying to promote your business, but you have to pull it back because you don't have the staff to carry through. Over on the other side of Eden Park, I visit Papa's Italian Eatery on Sandringham Road. A mainstay since 1984, current owner-operator Gail Hunter has run it for the past 18 years. Recent times have been difficult, to say the least. Mentally it's been challenging to keep yourself going (laughs) due to just financial difficulties as well as um, stuffing and also what's happening out there in the economy. We got through COVID only just... Now people are scared to come out because there's no confidence in the economy with interest rates going up. So we've found that we still aren't recovering. We thought we were, but now with interest rates going up, what are people too scared to come out to spend their money? What gets cut first? Restaurants. So everyone I'm hearing in this industry is really struggling. Hunter says operating costs have gone through the roof while patronage is down. Every time I turn around, another bill saying, sorry, we have to increase prices. So across the board, everything's gone up, you know, and also wages. And it's hard to keep staff motivated when you don't have the hours as well as we used to have. We used to be hugely busy before COVID hit. And now it's very up and down, sporadic. So it's really hard to judge one day from the next. And to maintain that, that's difficult staffing-wise. People want to know certainty of hours, which I can't even do that at the moment. So, yeah, it's very difficult. (laughs) And staff shortages mean working the restaurant floor herself. Before COVID, I used to have a manager. I don't now, so I do everything from washing dishes to doing the finance to working the floors. In first, out last, days off. We, we don't open Monday and Tuesday now. It's not financially viable. On those days, I'm doing admin Monday, Tuesday, scrubbing the restaurant. <laughs> so it's constant. You don't get a break, you know. Another local restaurateur declined to be interviewed, but told first up the World Cup had not brought the boom he and other businesses had been hoping for. As for Gail Hunter, even after the Cup is won or lost, there's hope upcoming fixtures like next weekend's 660 concert and next year's FIFA Women's World Cup will bring those much-needed customers back. When you get these big events at Eden Park, it makes a huge difference to us. We're well known for doing um, big events here. We're right across the road, 500 metres, so a lot of people know us over the years that we run a good operation. Next year is going to be really, really good when we have those big events happening. It'll make a big difference to our business and all of Kingsland around here. As we've just been hearing, more than 40,000 people will pour into Eden Park to see the Black Ferns take on that formidable England side who've won their last 30 games in a row. So speaking to media yesterday, Black Ferns superstar Ruby Tui reflected on the journey to get to this point. So we met 2010 and just imagine this. Nobody knows who the Black Ferns are. Nobody knows what they look like. Nobody follows women's rugby. We're told you will never be paid. We're told we're not giving you Eden Park for the World Cup. We'll give you somewhere that holds 5,000 because you're not going to sell it out. We're told women's rugby doesn't matter. And then here we are 12 years later, Eden Park's sold out, bro. We've all got stories. We've got amazing people in the team. People are, you know, there's momentous occasions. We're at home. We're playing the best team in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here talking to the most media I've ever talked to for the Black Ferns. Bro, 
It's a special moment. It's a really, really special moment. I want to run through a brick wall now for Ruby Tui. Uh, Saturday will actually be the last hurrah for Wayne Smith as the Black Ferns coach. This has been an experience I never thought I would enjoy so much. Once you understand the struggle for these women to, to be here, you know, we've got, as I've said before, we've got lawyers, we've got a fourth year med student, we've got civil engineering student, we've got corporate workers, we're all sorts in the team. who only just become professional and they're smart and they make the most out of the occasion so they don't get top tight they can't see the point of that because it's been so hard to get here so they, they just enjoy it and they, they sing and they dance and they thump the music out on the, on the bus and I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say at half time and this music's pumping out and got people talking um, but I've come to love it as you can imagine, there are going to be hundreds of the players' family and friends on the edge of their seats tomorrow night. Kendra Cox Edge explains how it usually goes down with her rallies. I try not to talk to them too much now because they stress me out. Um, <laughs> nah, like I, my, my parents have been my massive inspiration and my family throughout the years. And you know, for them to allow me to play with the boys when I was younger, I wouldn't be here if I didn't get that. And um, I try and. I catch up with them the Friday. I'm not huge on catching up with them the Saturday. I might if I, if I want to, but I'm like, don't talk about the game. Because um, Dad will start getting into technical or tactical stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to talk about this now. <laughs> Kendra Coltsage. Well, if the women in black are to triumph, there's little doubt that Portia Woodman's going to have something to do with it. Woodman has been absolutely magnificent all tournament. She's the top try scorer with seven tries. I spoke with sport, uh, with uh, Portia's dad, the one and only Cuffina Woodman, who, like his brother Fred, was an all black back in the 80s. We were at home. I think Portia talks about this a lot. Playing rugby, playing the game they love in front of Fano and in home stadium of Eden Park. It, those are dreams that rugby players all have. And um, the Black Ferns are part of that. And my family, uh, my siblings, I've got seven siblings. My wife has nine siblings. We're in our 60s. Babies are in their 30s and 40s. Our grandchildren, they're all going to be there. And so it's kind of crazy because we're, you know, we're we're from Kaikohe. My wife and I are both from Kaikohe and our families will travel down. Our families are also living in Auckland, living in Tauranga as well. So it's going to be a massive gathering. It is a little bit crazy for us. It's beautiful. There's going to be so you know, so many of you getting to be there for that. I was just thinking, you know, back in your rugby career, you know, yourself and Freddie, and you're out there tearing it up for Northland Irish memories to watch you guys on the TV and that as well. Back then, was women's rugby was it even th- thought of? Like, was it, I mean, was it even possible to think of one day there's going to be a sold out Eden Park with a women's team playing there? No, no. Look, we we used, to, I recall. They used to play women's rugby on a Sunday, and it, it it would be like, okay, you're out of the kitchen, you can go and have a game of footy. Nobody was watching, and everyone is quite interested that they might want to play. But it was the typical male response was, oh, oh girls, you can help yourself, but we're not going to help you. <laughs> that was the state of play in the eighties. Yeah, I said to Portia when she was wanting to play rugby. 10 years ago, I said, oh, oh, Bub, I don't know how much your support you'll get playing rugby because you're a really good netballer and there's a professional pathway for netballers in New Zealand, not so much in rugby. Yeah. Back in our day, it was just a little point of interest for us. 
So, she, yeah, 2012, eh, she switched from netball over there to rugby. And I'm thinking both wingers, y- yourself and Portia, I'm just wondering, can you still beat her in a sprint race? Or how old was it before uh, Portia could beat you in a sprint race? Or did you ever let her? Yeah. Uh, kind of. By the time she'd finished playing netball, she was beating Dad already. So <laughs> by the, before she got to the rugby, floor, rugby paddock, she was already beating Dad. I was trying my darndest to keep up with her, and in the end, I'd say, "Bub, you carry on running, and I'll, I'll be along shortly." <laughs> I'd just have the fun, and then I was just glad that I could run alongside her. I did that with her older brother, with with her, and then her younger brother. Yeah. I was lucky to be fit enough to be able to run alongside the kids. Which has been being quickest player in the final for a little while. For a little while, because I was having a look through. I mean, gosh, she she made that switch to rugby. It's taken her to an Olympics. It's taken her to a Commonwealth Games, to World Cups. She stood on, you know, World Rugby Sevens and all that as well. She stood up there on the top of the dais with a gold medal in each and every one of those along the way. What's it like to, to I guess, to get to see her play at Eden Park for another giant game like this? It's something that, you know, we've talked about because she played in the World Cup in 20, in Ireland in 2017. Yeah. I thought about travelling there, but I couldn't afford it. Mm. We're home here. Being able to watch every game at home, just loving it, absolutely loving it. And her wider whanau also participating. So this is just – and I'm thinking about – all of the Black Ferns families are being able to watch mm. where they we don't normally get to watch them in our hometown. A little bit more often this year in 2022, but on a regular basis, especially in the sevens, we never used to see them at home. No. So this is just fantastic. So that semi-final, like it's, to me, it's one of the all-time great games of sport I've watched. There were highs and lows and highs and lows, and then right at the end, did you watch the kick that Carolyn Druin took? Could, could you bear to watch that one right at the end of the game? No. I said to myself, I didn't want to watch them beat us. <laughs> I turned away. Well, in actual fact, I was not even in New Zealand. I was in Wales oh. watching the game. Porsche's brother had a Muay Thai World Championship in Wales. <laughs> and so I was really supporting him yeah. and uh, watching the game at 6.30 in the morning in Wales. And so when it came to that final kick, I walked out of the room <laughs> because I just said, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to watch France beat us at the 80th minute. As much as I love our black ferns, I just thought, oh, my gosh, I couldn't do this because it was one of those things that you would never consider as a, as a way of losing a game. Wow. And then, so you're out of the room. So how long did it take before you walked back in to try and have a look at the score? Because I imagine you walk back in and you think you're going to see, what, France celebrating? Well, I heard them say she missed it. <laughs> so I rushed back in to see what what has happening. So, uh, yeah, really funny. <laughs> really funny. I normally would be, I would just sit in the room and watch whatever. We're going to win or lose. i got to do the job and we've got to watch it. <laughs> but I was on my own. I was in Wales. Uh, I thought I couldn't do this. This is this is too hard to watch watch the girls lose because of an infringement and things. But yeah. just so grateful that Caroline missed the kick and the girls got it. 
That's Portia Woodman's dad, Kafina Woodman, and by the yeah, her brother did very well, won um, three gold medals at the Muay Thai Champs. Um, now, thank you very much for it. We've got so, so, so much feedback in this morning. We, we just can't cram it all in. Uh, but thank you so much for it. We do read it and we love it very much. Uh, sell out crowded Eden Park this weekend, easier to achieve for women's rugby because at least the tickets are reasonable. David, David uh, flew uh, DC sixes into the four out of uh, Edmonton. He said the heating in the terminal was 44 gallon drums filled with logs. We're talking about how cold it is up there. Uh, kia ora, kia ora to Nathan's bosses in the first up team. That's great. Here's another one. Uh, Nathan, I loved the young ones. My youngest son is Vivian. I love Vivian as well. Uh, call out to my son Julian, uh, who has his birthday today too. Uh, love first up. Regards, Pip from Featherston. Thank you very much for all of your feedback. I'm talking very fast. Aren't I? I'll try and slow down. I'm excited. We have a heavy weather weekend and the Black Ferns. What a weekend. Also, the Pony Club Day still on at Massey Pony Club um, on Sunday. Good on you. Back on Monday.